Hopefully you have your Bible at hand and ready to go. We're going to start off in Matthew chapter 13 today. Last week we started a short series of sermons on the kingdom of God. And last week we talked about how when Jesus came to earth, born as a little baby in Bethlehem, growing up and starting his ministry, leading up to his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and finally his ascension back to heaven, uh, Jesus was not the type of Messiah that the people expected. Uh, Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God on earth. And the Jews especially were waiting for this Messiah to come with a strong hand, with uh, powerful armies, to conquer the Roman Empire, and to establish Israel as the chief nation on earth. But that's not what Jesus came to do. He came to, first of all, die for the sins of the human race. He came as a suffering servant. But he did come to establish the kingdom of God. But it was a totally different kingdom than most people expected. Jesus explained that the kingdom of God is actually invisible. He said that the kingdom of God is established in the hearts of believers who are born again and who receive the Holy Spirit. And then they live a life submitting to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So a quite radically different kingdom of God. But that is the kingdom of God that Jesus established. He talked a lot about how we get into the kingdom. And beyond that, he gave the kingdom parables, which we're going to look at today. Several occasions he told stories. He said the kingdom of God is like, and then he would tell a story that would further describe this kingdom of God that he established and what it's like. So as we begin now, let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, please open our eyes, our minds, our hearts to take in what Jesus had to say. We belong to this kingdom. We're citizens of this kingdom. Our citizenship is in heaven. So help us to learn more deeply where we stand in this kingdom and what our responsibility is and what you're doing in each of our individual lives. So Holy Spirit, please do your work in us, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 3. Then he, Jesus, told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the story in and of itself is easy to understand, but Jesus had a spiritual purpose in telling this story. Even the disciples found it puzzling, and they needed to have an explanation. Uh, the sower is God. The seed is the gospel being preached out around the world. 
You know, one, one thing I wanted to say at the outset, a characteristic of God. Now, if this were you or I as the sower sowing the seed, farmer spreading seed on his land, we would be very careful. We would not want to waste any seed because seed costs money. So we, we would want to be very careful to put the seed just where we know it's going to grow properly. But this farmer is very generous with his seed. <laughs> He's throwing it all over the place. He's spreading it all over. This is a characteristic of God when it comes to his grace. He's not limited. He's not stingy with regard to grace. He shares it generously. It goes all over, okay? And this is a characteristic of God and his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, forgiveness is available to all, to all. People who are looking for uh, forgiveness, people who couldn't care less if they're forgiven or not. That's the way the world is. You have all sorts of different people and he's going to explain uh, some of these different uh, areas where the soil wouldn't grow, and he's going to compare it to people. Verse 10. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to these people in parables? So Jesus explains to them that it just wasn't time for many people to understand, in general, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So... This is what this parable is all about. It's about the kingdom of God. He says in verse 15, For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. So most of the crowd was not spiritually responsive. So Jesus wasn't going to give them more than they could handle. But he taught the disciples the spiritual meaning. He wanted them to get it. Let's pick it up in verse 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, in other words, the gospel about Jesus Christ and his life and death and what it meant, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown among the path. Then he goes on to say, in other words, when you preach the gospel, some people aren't going to get it. They're going to criticize it. They're going to make fun of it. That's just the way of the world. So don't get upset if people think you're talking nonsense. Be prepared for that. Verse 20, the one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. So some people think that the gospel is interesting at first, but then they get bored with it when it doesn't solve their problems or when their prayers don't get answered the way they expect them to be answered, they quit. So when we share the gospel, some of the people who respond will eventually fall away. Don't be surprised. That's just the way some people are. Jesus says, verse 22, the one who received the seed that fell among the thorns, the man or woman who hears the word, 
but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. So money is very powerful. The love of money or the desire for money. People don't have to be rich to be deceived by riches. <laughs> Lots of people can be distracted by the worries of the world. Some drop out for that reason. They're more worried about this world than they are about eternity. So finally, verse 23, but the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man or woman who hears the word and understands it. He or she produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So Jesus wants us to be this kind of person. You see, seeds don't have a choice as to what kind of soil they fall on. But we have a choice as to what kind of soil we will be for the seed. That's the only thing we can change is our lives, our attitude, our response to God, our focus on what God teaches us. And I don't know about you, but I've often wondered, why am I here? You know, in this, this vast world, there's a lot of Christians in this world. There's a lot of non-Christians. There's even more non-Christians. Why is it that I'm here? Why is it that I'm standing here reading and understanding what this Bible says uh, while there's a lot of people who couldn't care less? They don't want to know what the Bible says. They don't believe in God. Uh, They think religion is fairy tales and fantasy, and they don't see any use for it. And why, why am I standing here saying this is the most important thing in my life, in my relationship with God? I don't know. I don't understand it fully. But somehow God found in me a type of soil where he could spread the seed and he had confidence that it would grow, as he did with you. So we can choose, we have a choice We heard in the sermon several weeks ago about the free will God has given us. We're created in his image. He has free will, and he has given us free will to either accept him or even reject him. He's made himself vulnerable to us in that respect. We can reject God. We can choose to do that. But we have chosen to accept God. We can choose to respond to the gospel when we hear it. And when trials come, we can choose to stick with the gospel, as we can also choose to fall away if we want to. When life gets boring or worrisome, we can choose whether to bear fruit for the kingdom or not. So we have chosen the right thing. And God willing, we'll continue to choose the right thing and stick with God and stick with the gospel. Continue to be a member of the kingdom as God has called us, because it's to his glory, it's not to ours. We know we don't accept or we don't deserve any of this. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. I think in this uh, parable, Jesus encourages us and says, you know, don't fret when you see people in this world reject God. You don't reject God. But people are going to reject God. People are going to reject the gospel. 
People are going to let concerns and worries of the world be more powerful in their lives than God could be to them. He says, you just continue to do the, the right thing. You continue to be that soil where God can plant that gospel and it can grow. And that's a key. We don't just accept the gospel, accept Jesus as our Savior and be done with it. No, that's just the first step. Once we accept Jesus as our Savior and we become members of the kingdom, that is the beginning of a lifetime of growth producing fruit. Just as these seeds that God planted in the soil are meant to grow. You don't just plant a seed and it's gone, it's dead. No, that seed, if it's to be successful, is going to grow and develop and produce fruit. Starts really small, tiny seed, but it's going to grow into something. Maybe it's wheat, maybe it's barley, maybe it's a tree, maybe it's some sort of plant. It's to produce. And that's why God has planted the seed of the gospel in us. And on our part, it takes a determination. That little seed that seems so helpless and, you know, it doesn't hold out much hope for that little tiny seed that I planted in the earth. If you were to ask me, I couldn't even find it again. I planted it around here someplace, but it's so tiny and so small, but it's there and it's going to grow. And we have to have that determination that God has given us a start. He's going to water us. He's going to watch over us. He's going to, you know, pull weeds around us. But he intends for us to grow and develop. And that's why Paul says here in Philippians 2, verse 12, he says, we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We've read that many times. Now, that doesn't mean that we somehow qualify ourselves for salvation. No, that was a gift through God's grace for us. We don't earn our salvation. But once God blesses us with that salvation, once the seed is planted in us, we have a responsibility and we have to put forth effort to maintain what God has done in us. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. So we are to actively pursue, he mentioned obedience to God, because it doesn't come naturally to us. When he called us, we were all rebels, doing our own thing in this world, seeking our own interests, our own desires. But when God called us, he began to change us. He began to transform us. We're being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And we have to pursue that in spite of the obstacles that come along the way. Satan provides some obstacles for us. Uh, the world provides some obstacles for us that we have to fight against to continue to go God's way. When he says we're to work out our salvation with fear, that doesn't mean we're afraid of God. Fear means respect. We have to remember who it is we're dealing with, who it was who called us. This is not just some uh, silly pursuit on our own, but the creator of the universe has called us. He is the one who planted the seed in us. We have an awesome calling, 
And uh, he has undertaken to change us into Christ-likeness. What a tough job on his part, but he took it on, okay? And he's not going to forsake us or leave us. He's going to continue that work. We have to participate. So how is God doing that in your life? How have you seen him change you? The work continues. None of us are perfect yet. None of us have uh, achieved that part in our lives where we are now totally Christ-like. God is committed to this job. We have to participate. And when he says trembling, work out your salvation with fear or respect for God, who we're dealing with, and trembling, it refers to our personal weakness because we're still human and we have to depend on God's strength. Sometimes we're fighting so hard against our own human nature and trying to do what's right and trying to please God that we're trembling. You know, our uh, strength is just about gone. And we've all learned the lesson that we can't do this on our own. On our own, we're helpless. We all need to rely on God. And he provides the strength and everything else we need. So the parable of the sower and the seed, a very generous God spreading his grace everywhere to anybody who decides to take hold of it. And Jesus didn't just die for a few. He died for the whole world. God so loved the world that he sent his son to die. So that's the ironic thing. You know, we're, we're aware of this. We're pursuing this. And a lot of people out there who hate God for whatever reasons or choose not to believe in God, Jesus died for them too. Their sins are forgiven. If they would only come to accept that reality. But Satan is very powerful in this world. And he puts, like I said, a lot of stumbling blocks, roadblocks in people's ways. And it's hard for them to get over those things. Let's read on now in Matthew chapter 13. He tells another parable. The first one was about seeds, and this one's going to be about weeds. I was going to call this sermon Seeds and Weeds. But I'll stick with the kingdom of God part two. In uh, Matthew 13, beginning in verse 24, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted, the good stuff, and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. And commentaries say very early on in this growth cycle, you can't tell the difference by looking at them. What's the, the wheat and what's the, the weeds? Because they look very similar. Verse 27, the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? The weeds, that is. No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So 
He goes on to explain further, verse 37. He says, the one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, or the sons of Satan. And anybody who is not with God is with Satan. So the evil in the world, in other words. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man, Jesus, will send out his angels. They will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So again, Jesus informs us about the kingdom in kind of a roundabout way. And he tells a story. And what do you make of the story? Well, as he said, the one who sows seed, the good seed, is Jesus. And again, we're compared to seed planted in the ground. Wheat that grows up and flourishes and produces a, a, a usable fruit. The good seed represents members of the kingdom, that's you and me, that are spread around the world. The weeds represent bad people spread by the devil. Good and bad are mixed together in this world. That is what the kingdom of God is like. So we live in a world where there's good people and bad people, unfortunately. Sometimes we, we watch the news and say, well, why doesn't God prevent this from happening? Why doesn't God just wipe out all those bad people? Well, Jesus said, be prepared because that's what the world's going to be like. This uh, Talking about the kingdom of God, there's good and bad, unfortunately. God allows it, and he's not going to straighten it all out till later when Jesus returns. God allows this. It's part of his plan. So Jesus is describing a world in which Satan is active. That's the age we live today, and it has been all the way since Jesus' time and even before Jesus came to earth. The kingdom of God starts small, like little seeds, and it's growing now. God is patiently waiting to see which plants bear fruit. Harvest time will come. What looks like a weed one day may begin bearing fruit the next day. It depends on each person's choice, and the kingdom of God gives people time to choose, but not forever. You know, we're praying, Lord, you know, we want you to come back today. <laughs> Return today, Lord. And he's saying, listen, I'm waiting on some people that I think are going to change. God's very patient. You know, God, Jesus could have easily returned a thousand years ago. Where would that have left us? We'd be nowhere, <laughs> okay? We wouldn't have even existed. So I'm thankful that God has waited this long, and he's waiting still on other people, so we're to be patient. Judgment is coming when the weeds will be removed from the kingdom. So in the meantime, what do we do? We're the seed. God has planted He's watering us. He's caring for us, maybe giving us a little shot of fertilizer from time to time. We're growing. Just continue to grow. 
Harvest time's coming. Judgment's coming. You do your part. You're a member of the kingdom of God. And by the strength of God and by the grace of God, you're growing into a beautiful thing. God is changing you into the likeness of Jesus Christ. He's transforming you. Keep it up. Keep up the good work. Rely on God. But you do your part. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. And it's not easy being a Christian in this fallen world, is it? We're surrounded by death. We're surrounded by violence, suffering. By the grace of God, he's watching over us, and we pray for his protection all the time. But judgment time is coming when God is going to determine who has been his all along and who has been of the devil. And we can't figure it out sometimes either. We come in contact with people and we think, boy, that person's very... uh, Despicable, hard to be around that person. And other people we think, oh, these, this person's great, but we can't be sure, we're not the judge. Matthew 12 and verse 30, Jesus said this, very plain, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. So it's very plain to Jesus. You're either on his side or you're on Satan's side. There's no middle ground. And he's able to see people and to see their heart and to know their thoughts. The kingdom of God described in these parables as described by Jesus is not a utopia in which everything is perfect. We know that. It's a time of struggle that we live in, a time of trials. We just read through that whole list of prayer requests and all that people are going through in their lives. This is part of the kingdom of God right now. It's a time of worries. It's a time of deceit that we live in. But it's also a time of growth that leads toward God's harvest. So as we grow, we're going to have trials in our life. It's part of the kingdom of God right now. Expect it. Don't be dismayed. Don't be confused. It's part of the times we live in and what God allows. But a better time is coming. A judgment time is coming. You can't change the world right now. No matter how many uh, uh, parades you lead in the street and how you picket and protest here and protest there, this world is not going to change by your efforts. You grow as God has called you to grow. And he is helping you and aiding you along the way. And it's going to take effort on your part sometimes because it's hard being a Christian in this world. It's hard being a Christian when you have opposition in your life, when you have maybe a mate who is not a Christian or you have children who are not Christians or you have uh, people you work with that you have to hear from every day who are not Christians. And sometimes we go to work and have to put up with a lot of abuse a lot of uh, worldly stuff, and it's hard to stand strong for God, but that's what he has called us to. And remember that either you're on God's side or you're on Satan's side. There's no middle ground. So declare who you are to God, and he will strengthen you and you'll prevail. One more scripture in Matthew 11. We're talking about how difficult it is to live in this world as a Christian, 
It seems sometimes that the whole world's against you. But that's what Jesus said, Matthew 11 and verse 12. He said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men and women lay hold of it. So it takes an effort to be a Christian. To become a Christian, sometimes it takes force on your part. I remember as a young man, I was raised in the Catholic Church. And I'm very thankful for my upbringing. I learned a lot about God, learned a lot about Jesus Christ. But the Catholic Church also has, they believe in things that are not really biblical. But I kind of felt that I wanted to learn the Bible more deeply and to somehow get closer to Jesus in relationship. And I had to take a different path from the way I was raised. My parents were very much opposed to that. They feel, because they're taught, that the Catholic Church is the only true church. And the Catholic Church is not alone in that. There are other churches around the world who feel that they are the only true church, God's only one church. So my parents, for the most part, felt that if I left the Catholic Church, I was lost. And I kind of became the black sheep of the family. All the, relatives, all the relatives knew about me, the aunts and the uncles and the cousins. Oh, he's the one who left the Catholic Church. He's doomed to hell, which is not true. But it was hard for me because I caught a lot of grief from my family over the years. But I was determined. I felt this is the way God wanted me to go. And I came to learn the Bible, and I felt that I came to a close relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship that I never had before. So it took force on my part, if you will, as I'm sure many of you experienced a similar thing. And it takes force to live the right way in spite of the way all the people around you in the world are living. You know, it's, it's tough when people in the office where you work or the factory where you work find out that you're a Christian. Now, I told you, over the years, I don't go into places where I worked, and I had several different jobs before coming into ministry. I don't go in there broadcasting that I'm a Christian. And, you know, you get to the point where people go, oh, don't say any bad words around him. He's a Christian. And they're kind of laughing behind your back, you know, uh, taking advantage of you or making fun of you. I just tend to let my life tell people that I'm a Christian. I don't do the stuff that a lot of them do, and if they ask the reason why, you know, I'll tell them. I'm a Christian and I don't think I should be doing that, or I shouldn't be lying, or I shouldn't be stealing. And I don't judge them for what they do. I just try to keep a humble, quiet attitude, doing the right thing, and if anybody wants to know why, they'll ask me, and, and I'll tell them. But if you go in there bragging that you're a Christian or if you go in there judging other people, which God doesn't intend for you to do, you're going to become a target for a lot of people in, in the wrong way. So it takes force on your part, personal force by the strength of God to live the right way in this day and age. God says, that's the kingdom of God. Accept it. 
deal with it. <laughs> and we can deal with it by God's strength on a daily basis. So it takes force to get into the kingdom of God, and it takes force to stay with it. And we've been called on to demonstrate that force in this world. And it takes an effort. But we are to participate in what God has called us to be. We're to participate in how God has called us to live. And it takes effort to be in the kingdom of God. Someday it will all disappear. And there'll be nothing left but the kingdom of God. And we look forward to that day. We don't know how far off it is in the future, but that day is coming. When all of the weeds will be burnt up. And all that will be left is the fruit that has been produced by the sower who has sown the good seed. So these parables describe an age in which we live, and it has been since John the Baptist, Jesus said, an age in which spiritual enemies are at work to place stumbling blocks in our path motivated by Satan's forces in order to snatch away the gospel that was planted in our hearts and in the hearts of so many others and to cause weeds to grow among God's people. The harvest is the end of the age when Jesus returns. The kingdom exists now. Jesus established it. It's in our hearts. God's placed it there. Jesus dwells in us. The kingdom is, exists now, and we are part of it. And we are called to produce fruit for the kingdom of God in spite of everything that's around us. Okay? The weeds growing all around us. And like I said, it's not our part to go around and judge people. Say, you're a weed, you filthy weed. Satan's planted you. No, we don't judge people. It's Jesus' a job to judge people at the final judgment. God is waiting patiently, giving as many people as much time as they possibly need to turn around and to produce fruit for the kingdom of God, to accept Jesus as their Savior. Instead of judging, we need to be praying for people that they'll see the light, that God will enlighten them, and they'll come to understand things that we understand. But in the meantime, put forth the effort. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We know what that means now. Because judgment is coming. It's just a matter of time. Be strong with the strength of God himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for the words of encouragement. This kingdom of God that we're part of now. We're members of the kingdom through Jesus Christ. We know that we're not living in a perfect world by any means. And it's hard sometimes to stand up for Jesus when... The world around us is being led by Satan himself. So, Father, strengthen us daily. Help us to con continue to come to you for strength, for encouragement, and you provide that for us. And we look forward to that proud day when you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Thanks for planting the seed in us, Father, and thanks for the growth that has taken place. We know that there's more growth in each of our lives that is still to come, and we look forward to that and pray for it. Father, thank you. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.